0: The impetus of, you know, I'm not on medication, so I'm going to do what I need to do to stay off of it, right? That's kind of on your mind, not that you have to be, you just need to be careful.
1: This podcast does not constitute medical advice. All changes surrounding medications, diet and exercise should be made in consultation with a professional who can assess your unique health circumstances.
0: Welcome to the Rheumatoid Solutions Podcast with Clint Pattison, helping you to live an easier, healthier, and happier life.
1: Thanks for joining us today with another episode of the Rheumatoid Solutions Podcast. My guest today is Elvira, and she's in Canada and she's going to talk about how she has been successful in reducing her medications by following. Patterson program, Changing Her Lifestyle. And it's a pleasure to welcome you today. Elvira, how are you?
0: Thank you for having me, Clint. It's a pleasure to be here. At my worst, about 15 years ago, I was on 200 milligrams of uh, methotrexate and taking 250 milligrams of uh, hydroxychloroquine uh, daily, or sorry, weekly and daily. And now I'm down to no uh, methotrexate and I'm only taking hydroxychloroquine.
1: And so you were also on methotrexate back uh, 15 years ago as well. You had started methotrexate and the Plaquenil today. You're just on the Plaquenil. Uh, How are symptoms in terms of comparison? What are symptoms like now and what were they at that time?
0: So at that time, um, a lot of stiffness. Um, I was at the beginning not able to sort of move my arm kind of any closer to my shoulder than this. It was just getting very stiff and um, that's fully improved. But now I have... I just feel like I have very little inflammation in my body right now. So I'm not experiencing the pain that I was in my joints at all. So that's way better.
1: Yes. And we're going to explore the transition from your old diet to now. Why don't we just do that first rather than going into sort of your your story from A to B. Um, what did your diet used to look like just prior to diagnosis?
0: Um, so just prior to diagnosis, I was eating everything, dairy, um, meats, uh, vegetables. I have always loved sweet things. So uh, I was consuming a lot of sugary, you know, donuts and sweets and, um, (laughs) that's still an Achilles heel now (laughs) for me. So yeah, that's what I was eating.
1: Donuts and sweets. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, well, the donuts are particularly bad, aren't they? They, by recollection, are fried aren't they I mean this shows enormous ignorance because I grew up in a rural area and I don't think I had a donut until I was in my 20s and maybe you've only had I might have only eaten two donuts in my life I mean it's really uh, like you and I in that sense are chalk and cheese but yeah. that's just because of the, the lack of sort of availability or lack of sort of places but we never saw them growing up. Um, there was no donut king, for example, like across the US. Uh, and I know you're in Canada, but I assume that that thing spread across the border. Um, <laughs> but I've seen them, aren't they? They, they? They're lowered into boiling oil, are they?
0: Exactly, yes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> right. So they're high, they're, they're high in sugar processed, deep fried heaps of rheumatoid arthritis creating monsters. Yeah. Right. Okay. Okay. So you're eating donuts and 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 that. So uh, and also just a regular Western diet, like a Canadian, American, Australian, European sort of diet. I'm curious to know: is there also a a antibiotic history uh, with you? Did you ever have acne as a teen that was treated with antibiotics, or as as a child did you ever have a lot of uh, ear infections that needed an excessive amount, or even just taking maybe a prescription? Antibiotics on a yearly basis for for various things. Do you feel that there was a a a role to play there?
0: I think not not as far as ear infections or anything like that or any acne type of medication. I was on antibiotics probably young adult, mainly just dealing with, um, head bronchitis a couple of times. So for those reasons, but otherwise no, not really.
1: Okay, but a typical amount of use then. Yeah. yeah. You know, sometimes it's fun just to explore that a little further to look for sort of uh, an extra contributing factor. Not that we need it. I mean, you know, just as we've just joked about, you know, the sort of way of eating is not the way that even 200 years ago, in our however many hundreds of thousands of years of evolution, only in like a, a, a like a a split second of time have we suddenly switched to eating foods that previously we hadn't for. For eons, and our yeah. bodies just gone, boom, I can't handle this, broken down and created diseases that previously also had never existed before Western age. Gout had existed from, you know, kings and queens had eaten yeah. uh, high meat diets and, yeah, rich diets. The yeah. McDougall, McDougall likes to say, you know, the, the rich kings and queens and their rich outcome with their diseases, but not this autoimmunity. You know, this is something that's it's, we think is is only uh, has only come into uh, society uh, as of relatively recent times so you've been hit with this diagnosis and then um, you've uh, I imagine you've immediately started the medications is that correct
0: no because I I wasn't sure what it was I was kind of at the, the fittest level that I'd been in I, I had a personal trainer I was lifting weights and um, I started having pain in my right elbow and I thought, oh, you know, I must have just done something because I was only 10 pounds, but still I was doing this repetitive lifting. And um, I went to see the doctor and they um, removed some of the fluid that was kind of collecting in my elbow and they uh, gave me a cortisone injection. And so that seemed to keep it okay for several months. But then slowly, slowly, again, as I mentioned, I couldn't move my arm any further uh, and touch my shoulder, So I was a little concerned. I thought this isn't, the right, this isn't right. So then I went to the doctor and it must've been about six months after uh, I started having these symptoms and um, they did blood work and they couldn't find anything in my blood to show that I had rheumatoid arthritis. And so it was prolonged even further, but again, the stiffness remained. And so then, um, I decided to see another, to see a rheumatologist. And then I saw a second one for a second opinion because she also couldn't find anything. And then he did. And he said, Well, you know, either you can continue in this way and, you know, because I really didn't want to be on medication. And I thought, Well, maybe this is just something, I don't know, like a short term thing. Um, But he he sort of said to me, No, either you take medication or you continue to get more of your joints affected. And that's what was happening. It kind of was in my left. Wrist, my knee, and my ankle started also to have uh, some information. Um, and then that's when I started. So it was about a year after I started.
1: And uh, so it was really just a differing opinion from the different rheumatologists that that yes. persuaded you to go and start the medications.
0: Yes.
1: Um, left wrist, knee, ankle, mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. persistence in the elbow.
0: Yeah, the right.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know all those spots um they're fun they are fun yes. spots um so now with with when you started the meds how long after and, and you did you start them at the same time the the uh, uh hydroxychloroquine and the methotrexate
0: i started actually with prednisone for a short period of time just to try and reduce the inflammation um, and that helped and it wasn't very long I, i'm guessing 2 to 3 months and then that's and then we pivoted on to the other medications did, and you get I stu-
1: did you get stuck on prednisone, or find it challenging to get off?
0: Well, it helped. It did a great job in reducing the inflammation and the pain. So I think that's maybe why. But um, and then I, I stopped. I think it was uh, upsetting to my stomach, though, as well. So probably yeah. I would have mentioned that.
1: Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, okay and then how did you feel after you started those two disease modifying drugs
0: um things started improving but it wasn't a, a quick sort of fix because it took it took a long time for my arm to to really kind of release and for me to have more motion and mobility i also i don't know i i guess i always just felt um achy a little bit uh, stiff stif- stiffness and achiness um throughout the entire time so mm. that was ongoing it-
1: so in terms of a score where zero is hopeless and 10 is absolutely outstanding uh what was your experience for the combination of the two medications
0: um so i'd say that it was maybe a six for the first i don't know Eight years and then it moved to like maybe a seven or an eight uh, um, towards the end because uh, I was in remission for the last few years, but still taking the, all the medication.
1: Right. It's interesting because, you know, what we hear somewhat mm-hmm. frequently is that with methotrexate, for example, it can stop working. Um, I know that, for example, when I stopped taking it, I felt absolutely no change like mm-hmm. not even a single change to any joint the only experience i had was my energy came back that was the only thing that changed now mm-hmm. i had been taking it i think three and a half to maybe four years something about that amount of time and there's an interesting amount of research going on about how the microbiome actually metabolizes, meaning actually consumes and breaks down the methotrexate. And that depending on your microbiome, your likelihood to be suitable for that drug can be predicted to a confidence level now of 90%. So Mm -hmm. in the future, and I don't know how long in the future, uh, if this becomes widespread and becomes, you know, uh, used within medical practices, they could do a stool sample, really? and then decide whether or not you should go on methotrexate based on your stool sample, and that would be effective. So you know it might it might go down that path. It'd be interesting to see in the future. And because our microbiome changes, mm-hmm. that means that the drug is then uh, the effectiveness of the drug changes as we do as well. So that's one of the variables that can influence the effectiveness of the drug. That's one mechanism. Now, there are other mechanisms, which I'm less familiar with, which are probably at play as to why medication can change its effectiveness. But my point being, it's interesting that you appeared to actually do better over the years with the drugs than actually uh, need to switch or to say that they're not working, doctor, what should we do?
0: Yes. Yeah. And that's it. chatted earlier, I I started to reduce the, the amount of methotrexate that I was taking. So um, maybe that was happening as well. I don't know um, that, that the effectiveness of it wasn't as high. I don't know where my body had changed in some way and I didn't need as much of it. I don't
1: know. Yeah. Just explain that because we did just have a 30 second chat about this before we recorded, but In the past sort of five years or so, you began to, no, I think you said further back, but you tell us that you started to taper down the meds because you felt that there were some side effects.
0: Right. So I was beginning to have, so I would be taking um, 20 milligrams or eight tablets every Sunday. So once a week, and each time I did that, I would just feel really lethargic because it just was so much medication for me and also started getting headaches. So every Sunday evening, I would get a headache that would turn into a migraine. And, you know, and I would ask my doctor and he would say, well, I, I don't think that's a side effect of keep taking the medication. And um, and, and I didn't want the headaches. So then I would just kind of do it on my own. And I would tell him, okay, I've reduced it by two. And, uh, you know, the, the headaches were getting a bit better. And then I reduced by two. And so I, um, until I guess last fall, I was down to only two tablets so five milligrams once a week and um what he said to me in november was that you know you're on this homeopathic cocktail of drugs now you might as well just stop taking it i said well any drugs for me are not homeopathic so um yeah i'd love to take i'd love to stop taking it so that was that's the feedback that's, a,
1: that's one of the funnier phrases i've heard from right? a rheumatologist
0: <laughs> i know
1: if you're on five milligram of a cancer drug. It's just so homeopathic, yes. uh, <laughs> you know, and I, it's hard, it's hard to joke and then not to sort of, no, know. you know, do, do the right thing and say, yes, look, it's, it is a cancer drug, but it's only a very small dose, even at maximum dose, right. It's even at 25, that's still, that's still not the cancer therapy level. And then when you were right down at that point to five milligram, weren't you? Yeah. Let's speak as patients, right? I can say that I started at 10 milligram on methotrexate and uh, the impact for me was very noticeable and it hit at three weeks exactly at 21 days, uh, which was so, and I, uh, you know, it feels like I kind of like um, almost manifested the effect or imagined sort of this to happen. But my doctor said it normally takes 21 days. Oh. and i I marked the calendar. I didn't mark the calendar, <laughs> but I, but but I could retrospectively say it happened at exactly twenty one days. I started to feel better, mm. and my symptoms dropped by about sixty percent. So I was you know on the scale that I asked of you earlier, um zero to ten, I would say my drugs were were you know my mine was like a six as well, maybe mm. a seven, maybe mm. a seven. Yeah. um. And then I came out had a heap of side effects with it of fatigue and and just feeling like lower self esteem and all sorts of things, but yeah, sure I was six or seven out of ten, and then I chased that last forty or thirty percent with increasing of medication, trying to get symptom free, thinking if I'm going to be on it, I want the thing to clear out my symptoms at least,
0: yeah.
1: Uh, And that was a, a a chase that didn't quite ever, ever, ever get to an end, but um. But I got a little chatty there, and I forgot what my question was going to be for you. But yes, so anyway, we were laughing, weren't we, about the the homeopathic
0: know.
1: Homeopathic, <laughs> <like> homeopathic cocktail? <laughs> <I know. laughs> no, no. I love it. I love it. You that, know, magical. I was
0: surprised. I was like, "What?" But I was so happy to hear that I didn't have to take it any longer. So.
1: <laughs> that's right let's talk about that obviously being a prime thing we want to cover here just to to again go back to this five milligram from the patient viewpoint that is not insignificant because yeah uh, one of our long-term patterson programmers uh is called hannah she's in the netherlands and she was on our podcast years ago when i first started the podcast and she got down to two and a half milligram per week. And she stayed on that for 12 months because she noticed that coming from five to two and a half, there was a little Mm -hmm. bit. And her and her her rheumatologist said, well, just stay on that little bit of dose for as long as you want. And it gave her that peace of mind. And she felt that there was a degree of impact of that, even at that small level. So as the patient, you know, it's not Mm -hmm. insignificant.
0: No, and I felt those those pains in the same way uh, when I was eating dairy and meat. I would go down to two and a half, and I think, oh, maybe I should take one more because I would, you know, feel a little bit of pain. And however, from since starting the paleo program in November until now, which is four months, pretty uh, almost four months, um, I haven't had those twinges of pain. So that that's a big difference, and I felt a huge reduction in inflammation in my knuckles. Not that they were ever really hugely inflamed, but I could always tell that there was inflammation there. Yeah,
1: yeah. absolutely. Which is a great segue for us to now talk about your uh, transition onto the Patterson program. How did you find out about us? First of all, um, was it a referral? Did you see something online? And then secondly, how did you embrace it um, with sort of you know cold feet or dive in the deep end
0: interesting i found it online and i i actually last january had started working with a naturopath and he mentioned the patterson program and i kind of looked at it but i didn't pay much attention um i mean i i did i started to um, he he also told me you know try starting off with uh eating rice and adding things to it so that elimination diet and so I did that, and then I switched over, thinking, well, maybe a carnivore diet would work. So um, I was kind of doing a million things um, throughout the year last year. So I took about a month. I did a one-week only meat carnivore diet, beef specifically, and some organ meats, and then I I felt some relief, but it wasn't it wasn't um, successful. And so then I started eating all of the same things that I was eating again um but then in november so i didn't do again the elimination diet when i started your program but um i did stop dairy and i uh stopped eating meat and i um kept things quite bland and, and now i'm just following your recipes uh, and and it's been successful oh yeah
1: absolutely so what are some of the meals that you're making at the moment
0: so i enjoy the uh Brown rice with the black bean. Um, I guess cumin and uh, onion. I like that. I, I like um just having sort of cauliflower steaks uh with sort of sauteed vegetables on the side. Um see what else? A lot of the soups. So the squash soup. Uh, I really enjoy um salads, um, healthy salads and and things like that. And also the the juices. I really love the um cucumber and, um, celery and ginger.
1: Yeah. Awesome. And what are your family like when you're making all of these weird and wonderful meals for your health? Do you have friction there with making two, three meals for everyone?
0: I do have some friction with my family just thinking that this is like such a radical shift because they are all meat eaters, so that makes it a little bit difficult. you know it's like, oh, why are you doing this, and you should be eating meat, and you're missing all of these important vitamins uh or minerals and, and not sorry the nutrients nutrients, yes, so that gets a little bit difficult at times. you know, I try to tell them I'm feeling better, <laughs> so, that should be so important. <laughs>
1: two comments on that. First of all, there's a study that every second plant-based person has shared over the past 10 years or so. And I think it's from the American Dietary Association. And it says that in the quote, something like, uh, a well-planned vegan diet is appropriate for human health at all stages of life, including children and uh, pregnant mothers. So uh, it has been researched the heck out of. And there is no nutritional deficiency at all. As long as you're eating diversity in your diet, you're meeting your daily calorie requirements and you're taking a vitamin B12, uh, then you're actually going to reach more of the recommended daily guidelines than someone who's on an omnivore Western diet. So when people say, where do you get your protein? And like you look online and there's, or you watch a film like, you know, the game changes and there's bodybuilders and people breaking records. Um, but by, by contrast, but you ask someone on a Western where you're getting your potassium, for example, and 98% are deficient in potassium because they're just not eating enough fresh fruits and vegetables. The number one intake of on the, on and again, we bag America, but the number one intake of, of uh, plant-based foods in the, in the United States comes from potatoes via French fries. Mm-hmm. Okay. So like it's, it's a catastrophic sort of statistic that uh, you know that that that's the way that potatoes are coming into the diet is through an oil wrapped you know like we're talking about with yes. the with the donut. donut donuts okay and it also the funny thing is and this is something I've never uh, sort of commented on before but you know what what's apparent here is that those of us who have to change out of like sort of classic Western diets and into this way of eating, are coming at that previous way of eating because that's what all our family did, just like yours, right? Yeah. And so therefore, the escape to the path of wellness is harder because the criticisms or the <laughs> misunderstandings are the greatest because that's the environment you're coming from.
0: Yes, definitely. So to
1: extract yourself is like Velcro. And, and you're stuck to the old ways because that's how, in part, you ended up in the situation.
0: Yes, and 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 it's so detrimental to feeling that you can do this with with your whole family, kind of saying, "No, no, you know, what, what are you doing? You're, you're changing things. You're not the same as we are." Duh.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So. Why don't we talk about that? Has there been anyone in your family group that you've inspired or that who's actually sort of rubbing their chin thinking, you know what, Elvira might be onto something here. I'm on all these high blood pressure meds and I've got, you know, maybe stents for heart disease and all of these things going on that that we know uh, as a direct result of diet, right? Is there anyone looking at what you're doing thinking, I might do what you're doing?
0: Well, in fairness, my father—he did have a triple bypass, uh, probably about six or seven years ago—and he really did make a switch in his own diet. He still is a meat eater; he doesn't want to stop eating meat, but he has reduced substantially. And He's always been one to promote having sort of stews and you know vegetable-based foods, but but still a meat eater. Still, and he has reduced his consumption of, um, let's say, you know sausage or those those fatty types of of meats. Which, which is good. It's much healthier for him. <laughs> but I don't know if it's my influence. He's, he's kind of done that on his own. So I can't really take any credit there.
1: You've got a tough audience, haven't you? Your immediate family are um, are uh, not exactly helping you to uh, to to go there. You've worked against the tide here. So it's very, very... Uh, uh, amazing what you've what you've done it's it's really great
0: thank you for the encouragement (laughs) what
1: what uh, what else was urging you along was it the pain was it that you saw examples on interviews like this that set that seed and planted that seed what was it that you kept coming back to in your mind
0: yeah, um, wanting to eliminate the pain, wanting to be drug free, and also really, you know, watching your sort of testimonial of what you went through and how much it your life changed and how you got rid of the pain, and others on your site, you know, that have also shared their stories. So that really was beneficial and helpful to me. You
1: know, it, it there's the there's a fundamental sort of four minute mile barrier in all of us with these things. And until we see someone else do what we thought was impossible or until we get a glimpse of a strategy that appears to work that's when that hope comes back and it triggers something inside of us so i'm very blessed and grateful that that whether it be mine or a combination of my stories and and others has has lit that fire for you
0: yes yeah because it's it is possible someone else has done it, as you said. Um, so that's why I think, and I'm feeling better. So there's got to be something to this.
1: That's that's <laughs> right. Nothing beats results. There's mm-hmm. can be as much hype and as many websites about ridiculous, yes. life threatening approaches like the carnivore diet, yeah. and there can be just hype when authors can make a lot of money going against the norm and 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 selling. Uh, selling things to people because people want to stick with some of the foods that they grew up with and that they're, they're addicted to in terms of the the way they source or spice these foods and make them indistinguishable from the actual uh, piece of flesh that's cut out of the back next to the spine of the cow that was walking a few weeks ago. You know, that dis- and you know, it can be ways for people to make money and the the downside is the community um then are confused and as mm-hmm. dr brooke goldner says you know if you create enough confusion you can prevent progress and that's what a lot of these you know alternative and unscientific approaches do they create confusion and then like you you know you thought oh, i don't know should i try this yes. or that? yeah 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 so what are your um current Challenges and what are your current ambitions now with your health?
0: Okay, the donuts are still a challenge. I still love sweets, so you know I try to do things um, naturally. But you know I have a cook here too. Um, my goals are to continue trying to you know eat as healthy as possible, and and then to get off of the remaining hydroxychloroquine medication that I'm on, and, and see if I can live a healthy lifestyle without medication and uh, keep the inflammation and the arthritis, rheumatoid arthritis at bay.
1: And how is your elbow that um, took a lot of damage 15 years ago? Mm -hmm. And the question comes from someone who has a lot of experience with damaged elbows. And uh, I know the challenge involved. So are you able to use it now in a way that you feel happy with?
0: I feel much happier because um, before, you know, doing a dem or dog or something like that in yoga, I wasn't really able to push or straighten my elbow completely. Now I still do have, and I don't know if you ever have that, like sort of a, a, a pulling or a pain uh, just behind here and down to this area. And I don't know, I think it's tendons and um, it's not because my elbow is not inflamed. So that, that just is something that I still sort of struggle with.
1: Do you ever do like tricep stretches like this?
0: No, I, I, I will <laughs>
1: <laughs> definitely yeah, do that. Kind of yeah. uh, tricep, mm-hmm. yeah. So just what you can, you know, if you need to do it up against a wall, even you can put the elbow against the wall and get oh, the just, stretch down here.
0: Okay, okay. that's what we're
1: after. That's, okay. That's
0: okay, yeah, and
1: then I'm just ai just actually have published a, a episode with Teresa who is 62 years old. And I want you to watch that podcast episode. And she uses pull-ups and chin-ups. And even if you can't take your body weight, just attempting to do this each day and trying to get to hang for a few seconds from an overhead bar. I started doing that because, because of elbow and rotator cuff sort of just irritation, nothing serious, but bothersome rotator cuff, shoulder blade issues for, for years, posture related, I think. And it's been the best thing I've done exercise wise since I used to do Bikram yoga 15 years ago. So get yourself an overhead bar. And I want you to um, work on being able to try and hang from an overhead bar. And for you, because the elbow's being compromised, yeah. don't relax and take all the weight through the elbow because then the elbow is under pressure i want okay. you to have slight engagement so that the elbow isn't as straight as what it mechanically will allow but maybe there's just a few degrees of extra little flexion in there to to not be you know you just don't don't take it okay. all, yeah and mm-hmm. just so in, engage the arms and the back okay. and hang And what you're doing in that position is you're building strength. It's isometric, meaning stationary, but the muscles are all engaged and the hands have to be really, really engaged. It builds grip strength as well as all throughout the back and arms. Now, the reason this is so good, uh, the the long list and watch that episode and you'll hear me. But I, I really would like you to do that because I think you can get rid of that pain in the back of that elbow. And begin working out again, uh, even if it's just to try and do some pull-ups, which is very, very adequate and and comprehensive as a as a uh, workout is just to attempt to to pull yes. the body weight. So, I would do that uh, and stretch stretch the back of that area, and feel free to use pressure points in there as well. Push push those sore bits. Anything that's soft tissue can be pushed and prodded and stretched and worked. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yes, I do notice once I'm feeling that that pain, if I massage it even you know for like yeah. a couple of minutes, it releases it and it's much better until maybe later in the day or something like that. So um.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can buy on Amazon a small roller, one of those roller foam runners that are at the gym, you can get one that's maybe only about uh, maybe a foot and a half, two feet mm-hmm. in length. and you can get down on the floor. And you can roll the the elbow on the roller, and that feels really nice. Yeah, and you can do that while you watch, you know, a TV show or something, only for a few minutes because it's a small muscle. It doesn't need, like, the legs a long time. But that's just such a nice way of getting it done easily.
0: Yeah, yeah. Mm. That's a good idea. And it's Mm. um, simple and um, can relieve that sort of tightness that comes as a result of
1: and the roller can double as a. You can also do other body parts with it as well. And so, well done. You know, I I love the plan going forward. And if you hit the blood test results with your you know inflammation markers, and your your doctor uh, still considers uh, your homeopathic <laughs> mix uh, to be uh, uh, to be trivial enough to test coming off the hydroxychloroquine, then who knows um, how you'll uh, how you'll go here as we have less and less medication we have more and more responsibility on yes. our lifestyle and so you know you're basically shifting the responsibility to yourself but look uh you see what happens when children come off their training wheels and they ride their bike it's it's exciting and thrilling and yes. sure then you've got you know to ride carefully and safely but these are lessons that uh that the young child embraces and we might fall a few times, but, uh, <laughs> you know.
0: No, it's true. And, and you've got that kind of uh, the impetus of, you know, I'm not on medication, so I'm going to do what I need to do to stay off of it, right? That's kind of on your mind. Not that you have to be, you just need to be careful.
1: Yes, and you still need to obviously be very careful when you're on hydroxychloroquine as well. Uh, Dr. Nisha Menick said on one of our live Calls with our members, she called it vitamin P for Plaquenil, as if it was also, you know, joking about that. It's not that big a deal. So mm-hmm. your treatment regime right now, just being on Plaquenil, is very, very mild for rheumatoid arthritis. So, um, mm-hmm. congratulations. Uh, you know, you've you've done well, and I appreciate you coming on and sharing, and also, um, you know, your I also appreciate that, um, you know, when you haven't got that family encouragement and the cheering you on that, that can often be so helpful that you've done this against greater odds. So well done and and keep it up. Thank
0: you, Clint. Thanks for having me here and uh, for chatting. (laughs) Thanks for listening to Rheumatoid Solutions. If you'd like to get more help to live an easier, healthier, and happier life, visit rheumatoidsolutions.com.